Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and we're back for our second episode of the day. I was only planning to do one, but typically, as soon as I finished that podcast, a load more updates started to find their way through uh, out into the world, causing meltdown, panic, whatever you want to call it, among the Arsenal fan base. And so I thought it best uh, to sit down and uh, discuss it, work our way through these updates, try and make sense of them, and um, I'm delighted to say that alongside me to do that, first up, Tom Canton from the Guna Talk TV. Tom, how's it going, mate? Good to speak to you again. Yeah, not bad. It's not bad. It's uh, what a day. <laughs> what, a, what a day. So, yeah, loving it. Loving life. It has been one of those days, hasn't it? And look, you can see it already in the comments, Kenny. AFC. How are you going to defend this one? What is there to defend? We'll get into it uh, in a minute. Uh, also joining us, uh, Sophie Nicolau, uh, the head honcho of the Highbury Squad podcast and my fellow Cypria. I mean, it's not like us to lose our rag, is it? Or, or be late for a podcast, but here we are. It could be an oxymoron. I've titled myself today, The Calm in the Storm. Coming from a Greek person, it could be absolute horseshit, but let's yes. try, shall we? <laughs> it could be absolute carnage. Okay, so earlier today, we spoke about the news that Arsenal had made an official bid for Declan Rice that was knocked back uh, by West Ham United. Now, that's not completely uncommon to hear of a first bid being knocked back. I did say on the podcast earlier that although I understand that's kind of how negotiations work, that maybe Arsenal were putting in a bid to signal their intent that they were looking to move forward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I did say that I felt that if if what we heard earlier in the week was true, that all these conversations had been going on and that Arsenal were aware of what West Ham's demands were, etc., that maybe it was a little bit disrespectful to go and make the offer that they did. Now, um, I'll come to Sophie first on this. Do you agree with me in that sense? Do you think that given Arsenal know what it's going to take to get Declan Rice out of the club, that they should have been at least a little bit closer based on what we've heard to what West Ham's actual public demand seems to be? I mean, one of the biggest pickles in the transfer market is a club's evaluation of what the selling club's evaluation is, is never on the same page, is it? And this is literally the first day or second day of the transfer window. And everyone will say, well, why hasn't this been done before? Why haven't we announced it today? Um, it just doesn't work that way. Have we been disrespectful? I think there's PTSD here, right, from the Suarez plus one pound um, situation. But I also think that Arsenal deserve a little bit more credit in the transfer market uh, based on what we've seen last summer and the summer before. 
and also this part of January. Yes, you know, fans didn't think that we reloaded the way we should have with a striker or we left ourselves short once again in midfield and at the back. And this is a ruthless, cyclical business that moves quickly, that has instant gratification on one side with the fans and more of a methodical approach by our club in terms of how they want to do business in the transfer market. Now, if West Ham had accepted our first bid, what do you guys think the reaction would have been? Oh, look at us going in and overpaying. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I think it's a good thing that they've rejected the first bid. Let's, you know, this is a business. And this part of football is truly about negotiation and nothing happens overnight. So I don't think we've been disrespectful. I think we're trying to get away with what we think the value is, knowing that we're going to have to go up our game. When you guys want to go buy something, all right, and you go to the market and there's a scarf there for 50 quid, you're like, I ain't paying 50 quid for that. I'll offer you 40. You can haggle, right? But our club can't. Keep it in perspective. It's a process. <laughs> I hate that word now. But it, it, it really is. So hold the mayo and don't throw the tomatoes just yet. It's too soon. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is Arsenal just opening that line of communication, saying, yes, we are seriously interested. I know the conversations have already taken place, but making it official by way of submitting an actual offer, even if they probably felt and believed that that offer was more than likely to be rejected. But Tom, what do you know to be the value of this offer? Because we've heard a number of conflicting figures. I've heard some say that in total it's worth £80 million. I've heard some say that it's £80 million plus a load of add-ons. Sky Sports have been reporting this afternoon that actually West Ham's asking price is £120 million, not the £100 million we heard earlier in the week, and that they'd accept the £100 million if we were to offer a player as well. What do you believe to be the case with this? Because there is a lot of conflicting information during the rounds. Yeah, I mean... I can only go on what I've been told. And, you know, this morning when things are breaking, you know, David Ornstein initially reported the the first bids. Um, and then I think it was Alex Crooker Talk Sport that initially reported that it had been rejected. So kind of reaching out, trying to get any information on it, it was that it was an 80 million upfront um, kind of figure or guaranteed rather than upfront, guaranteed figure. Now, my colleague Kai Karnaka Football London has reported that that was apparently offered in six installments. Um, so you're looking at what's that, around 12 and a half-ish? I'm a maths ain't great, but <laughs> something like that. A bit uh, of afterpay. They, 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 they hit the afterpay button. Yeah, is it 13.3 reoccurring a, a season, I think? It would be uh, if, if the 80 million is being spe- uh, split across Are we shopping seasons. at West Ham or are we shopping at DFS? <laughs> six installments, that's madness. I know. If that if that's you know and that's Kai's information if that's true, of which you know Kai's got good connections, I I don't I, I can't fathom why on earth they thought that was that was sensible to go in with you know with that kind of figure, and then uh, my understanding was of the guaranteeds on top of the guaranteed eighty million is that there was at least ten million in in add-ons on top of that, so. I had some. I had a source say to me that it was it was fifteen. I had a source say to me that it was it was ten. So you know you can say we can we can firmly agree that it's at least ten million pounds that's been guaranteed in add-ons. But my my other part of the understanding was that Arsenal's add-on structure is around them, you know, winning the Premier League and winning the Champions League, and West Ham want add-ons that are far more 
achievable um, than that in their minds. And I, I think it was I think it was James uh, James Cookie that uh, James Cook that put out a reply to that and said. Um, I don't know why West Ham kind of are against this because you know surely that's what Arsenal are going to. And I pointed out, well, frankly, any club that's not Man City, any club that they're selling using those types of add-ons have a reason to be a bit sceptical because Man City exists. You know, so I can understand why why West Ham are being somewhat sceptical about the idea of Arsenal including add-ons that are to win the Premier League or to win the Champions League because whilst Man City exists, there's always whoever there is, is on the back foot. You know, whoever it is, is second best to them, no matter who you are, at least second best. So I can understand their the, the rhetoric. But yeah, the, the, the six installments uh, idea is, is if, if true, is absolutely ridiculous, you know, from an Arsenal point of view, because why on earth would West Ham ever, you know, accept something like that? Now, I, I've said that, you know, the first offer is the first offer. You know, in a, in a it, negotiations are like a poker game. You know, you're never going to see your first offer accepted because it would be mad on the, the selling club's part to do that. But I do feel a little bit frustrated um, in the kind of, if, you, if you're having these talks, right, in my view, to not repeat the Mudrick situation, you have these talks to kind of come to an agreement about what the first offer really should go in to be as respectful as it can. I don't think that offer was... And I think, you know, if, if, if that's, I need to work out whether or not my aim is uh, Edu and, I'm, and I'll throw this to you guys. I need to work out if my aim should be towards Edu or whether it should be towards the owners who are putting some kind of spending restriction on what we're able to offer, you know, West Ham. And I don't know the answer to that question myself. So maybe you guys can have a shot at it. Mm. Go on, Soph, I'll let I mean, you take it. I guess, okay, the six installments thing is a little bush league, let's be honest. Right. Um, when you're seeing Chelsea make contracts for like 500 million years, maybe maybe the landscape of football is also changing. You know, financials are we're about to go into a global recession. You know, commercial real estate is going to pop at any point. There's a lot of factors that go into deciding how you structure a deal. Now, the Cronkies are richer than Roosevelt. And that's the issue fans have and will always have until they start putting their hand in their own pocket. Fans are going to have an issue with how Arsenal Football Club run their transfer business. And maybe we should look around us and see what's happened to some teams who've dug deep into personal pockets and how reliant a business becomes on that. However, with that said, we always talk about transfer windows being really big and important. This is the one I think where the owners will truly be judged by. Because when you go that close to winning a, a Premier League and you're short and you know where you're short, and as a business person, you don't follow through, uh, that's an issue. The question is, how much do they want to spend to follow through? Now, I'm not going to sit here and defend the Cronkies because I do that a lot and people don't like it. But I will say one thing is that pa patience has had to be learned by the Rams fans, by the Avalanche fans, by the Denver Nuggets fans. Colorado Rapids will just park them for a minute. But patience has had to be lived by all of those fans. And don't come at me with the American sports is different. No, they're business, they're sports business owners and they know how to win titles. And Arsenal fans are just going to have to continue to be a little bit patient. Now, that may not be the answer you want to hear, but I also think there's some fiscal responsibility here to not just go out and spend 120 million because if Declan Rice was Italian or Spanish, would he be worth 120 million? No, he'd probably be worth 60 or 70. So there's a lot of different components and factors here. I think Arteta is like, just get me my guy. 
a dude's like, hold on a second, there are restrictions as to how we can get the guy. And then, you know, the Cronkies are, of course, heavily involved in that, as are the executive team. So I think it's a little bit of both to answer your question, Tom. I feel sorry for Edu because I think he'll be stuck in the middle of this. He'll have a manager who is on his case saying, this is the player I want. I don't really care about the ins and outs of it. I want you to get this deal done. I want you to get me Declan Rice from West Ham United and bring him over to Arsenal Football Club. And then you've got an owner who ultimately signs the checks who will be saying to Edu, yeah, that's fine, mate, not a problem, but you've got to do it within the constraints that we are working under. And I, I agree with Sophie in that football has changed a lot. And I think that this thing of installments is not as outrageous in 2023 as it would have been three or four seasons ago. And I guess if you're a club that are going to receive that type of payment, what you are doing is at least securing an investment or or some funds incoming for over a long period of time, which means that you're kind of protected in that sense. But it doesn't always solve your problem with regards to replacing that player that you are losing in the short term. And so you can understand why West Ham would be put off by that. Maybe it is the norm nowadays, but if I'm West Ham and I'm losing Declan Rice, I'm allowing him to leave on the basis that I'm going to be able to rebuild my squad with the money that is coming in for him. And if I'm not going to see that money straight away, then why would I be on board with this? It's, it's a really difficult one. It really, really is. I just find it really difficult to believe that, you know, what we heard over the last week, which was that all these conversations were happening and that there had been progress made, that then Arsenal would go in and make what many are describing as an embarrassing or derisory offer. Like, read the room if that is the case. And, I've just put out a tweet a little while ago saying, you know, judging by the way someone here react to transfer reports, I do wonder how they get through life on a day-to-day basis without literally their heads exploding because it's mad, <laughs> it's crazy. But there is uh, there is a bit of, I guess, th- there is something to being a little bit upset about this or, or finding it at least, Tom, a little bit confusing at this stage. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder how, you know, we end up producing content, you know, every single day on Arsenal because it is, it's a toll, like such a toll with this club. And I think, you know, the, the, the visceral nature of the online fan base as well, you know, creates an extra element to it as well. And it's, I, I find myself often falling into the trap of feeling like I need to like convince almost everyone I speak to <laughs> of, of kind of the way things are, you know, with Arsenal. And that like unfortunately, most people will believe almost everything that is is being put out there. Um, you know, and I, I I don't think everything out there is is accurate. Um and I think that certainly there are tactics, you know, used by clubs, used by agents, by uh, intermediaries to as tactic to try and panic clubs like Arsenal into bigging bidder. So uh, be, bidding bigger, rather. That's a difficult couple of words to say. Um, when it comes to the Man City interest that was, you know, published this morning, that's all West Ham. Like that, that is all West Ham, like putting out there that uh, Man City uh, are interested in Rice because it's, it suits them down to the ground to, to make it public. The Man City are coming in for Rice because it's designed to, to, to panic Arsenal into bidding, you know, well over what they would probably be prepared to put in for Rice. We start, I mean, I've just seen a, uh, a report by Matt Law come out regarding Caicedo and Chelsea 
suggesting that Brighton now want 120 million pounds for Moises Caicedo. Like th- this is what is this is what is happening, and I, I don't really know where it ends either. Like I don't know where because clubs like West Ham and Brighton have got a right to say, you know, we want 120 million quid because clubs like Mate. Chelsea have gone and paid that for Enzo Fernandez. You know, like that, that's that's the reality of it. So, but also Rice is their biggest have. asset. He's their exactly. biggest he's, asset. And he's going to be for the next decade. 20, 20 years, maybe. Get close to that for another, another one of their players. So they've got to make sure they get the maximum fee. For me, it's like, I can't necessarily be annoyed at Arsenal if we don't get Moises Caicedo and Declan Rice. Like, I can't be annoyed if we don't get both. Because the two clubs that we're trying to buy from are asking for extortionate amounts of money for both players. Well, like we offered 70 million quid for this for Caicedo in January for a guy that went for less than 5 million a year prior. Like we put in a very respectable offer and were laughed away with it. You know, 80 million pounds plus 10. Yes, the structure of the deal is is frankly laughable. But the amount of money we've put in for Declan Rice, if you think about what, you know, for a player with, I think, what, two years left on his deal, you know, has said he wants to go. West Ham have said that he can go, you know, and I know they want to get the fee, but 90 million quid, you know, if, if all add-ons are, uh, are secured is a lot of money, but... It is still, I think, frustrating. And I think fans, the, the, the right that fans have to be frustrated about is, of course, the manner in which that first bid has seemingly gone in. That's that's where I do have the sympathy for for the frustration because the first bid is, you know, a little bit silly. So, yeah. How much I did Real Madrid play, pay for Rice, guys? So it's, uh, oh, sorry, for um, Bellingham. For Bellingham. £88 million guaranteed. I think, and then there's add-ons which could take it up to around 120 million pounds. I think. Right. So why can't we get rice for 88 million, for example? I think Look, I'm, we... I'm playing silly here, but I really want to yeah, know yeah. why can't we? I think we... if we said to to West Ham, here's 88 million pounds all up front, and his 10 million quid worth add-on. Oh, sorry, it's, it's 12 million quid or 13 million quid, just to tip it over the the 100 million that they desperately want rice to go for. I think if we paid it up front, I think they'd be very open to that. In fact, I'm led to believe that's the case, that if we paid a lot of, like, say, close to 90 million up front, then then they would accept it with minimal add-ons. I think you've got to take into consideration the Premier League tax as well. Going from Dortmund to Real Madrid is always going to be a deal that is of lower value than one between two Premier League clubs just because of the finances of the respective leagues. I'm not saying that Bellingham is... For me, Bellingham is worth more than Declan Rice, and and that's absolutely fine. I haven't got an issue with that, but I think that's why you know maybe that's a deal that's been able to be done at a sort of more, what feels like a more reasonable amount. I guess for me, look, I don't have a problem with people being disappointed by the nature of this offer based on what we know. But my point is always this: you you're going by a report, and you are taking that report as if it's the word of God. And sometimes these reports are not always 100% accurate. Now, I'm not saying that any journalist goes out there to mislead people. Sometimes the information that you get is not correct or isn't 100% accurate. And if you get the full picture, you might interpret something in a completely different way. So all I am saying to Arsenal fans out there and what my tweet basically was aimed at is we might still end up with Declan Rice. We probably will still end up with Declan Rice, in which case... Does any of this matter? And in which case, why are you going to spend your summer pulling your hair out and going absolutely crazy about some details that you don't even know 100% are correct? That's kind of my issue with this. 
Um, look, we're going to talk uh, Kai Sado as well. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of Kai Havertz as well before we wrap up. But before we continue on through the show, uh, if I could ask you guys to leave a like on the video because there's nowhere near enough likes on the board in comparison to how many of you are watching us live right now. Make sure you give uh, Tom's The Guna Talk TV a subscribe. Make sure you subscribe, uh, of course, to the Highbury squad as well. I'll get uh, the guys to fill you in on how exactly you can do that a little bit later on. But we're going to take a very short pause and then we're going to talk Moises Caicedo, Kai Havertz and more. Okay, we are back. Moises Caicedo. Right. This is another interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, we've been having this discussion in our WhatsApp group quite a bit, actually, over the last few days. Is it possible to get rice in Caicedo? And there's a part of me that's always been like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't think that this is financially feasible. And the more I'm hearing about what these clubs are looking for in terms of the prices now, the more I'm thinking that this is out of our reach. But Tom, earlier today, we heard that Arsenal had called their interest in Moises Caicedo 24 hours after the same journalist reported that Arsenal were preparing a bid for Moises Caicedo. So <laughs> where do we start with this one? Where do we go with this one? Oh, mate, <laughs> I think this is what did it for Arsenal fans today on social media. This was the jump off the boat. <laughs> this and Man City that... sent everyone spinning. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, the, the the whole rejected bid kind of plugged Arsenal fans in. Uh, the Kai Havertz thing yesterday was was another thing, and then yeah, the, honestly, this this the Caicedo thing has just absolutely ruined people. But um, I don't I don't think Arsenal have um, you know just suddenly pulled out the race. I don't think I don't I personally, in my opinion, don't think that that's the case. I think that Arsenal haven't moved on the Caicedo situation for quite some time because. A, they're focusing on Declan Rice, and B, they know that Caicedo is open to, to coming to Arsenal. From my perspective, I think what they're doing is kind of a reverse Mudrick, if you like. I think they're letting Chelsea do a lot of the hard work and then kind of wait and see what Chelsea agree for Caicedo with Brighton. Because, you know, we're hearing from Matt, uh, Matt Law now that Brighton value the guy at 120 million quid. And if, if that's the case, and if Chelsea end up paying 120 million quid for Caicedo, Arsenal are going to go okay <laughs> yeah because we ain't gonna go and pay 120 million for Caicedo um so yeah I think I, I I can I think that it's probably fair to say that the report that I think Ben Jacobs put it out that uh the Arsenal have called interest but I think that calling of interest is only because we're we're pushing and the resources are very much on the Rice situation so we're not moving on the Caicedo situation and I think it's it's because they, they might be thinking, well, let's just let Chelsea do the legwork because we know Caicedo is open to a move to Arsenal. And if we just equal whatever fee Chelsea put in, if we think it's a reasonable amount of money that, to match, then there's no then he just has to pick between the two clubs and he wants Champions League football. So why wouldn't he come here? So I think that's probably why um, we're hearing that things have called. But I'm not, I'm really not kind of like in a mood to <laughs> lose my head over this because as you said for some time, Harry, you know, whilst I'm hopeful that Arsenal spend a lot of money this winter, and I think they should be, you know, realistically, as we've just discussed with the, the value of players, like I can't expect Arsenal to spend 120 million each on two players. Like it's just crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I completely. Send agree. So, agent Trossard in. Come on, do <laughs> God's work. <laughs> Although I don't think Trossard's got many friends left at Brighton after the way he uh, he <laughs> left the club, and he didn't Maybe. really get. I was watching closely when when obviously they basically killed our title hopes uh, at the back end of the season. I didn't really see too many warm embraces between 
no. Leandro Trossard and his no. former teammates. But the opposite what, of Zinchenko. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what do you make of this Caicedo situation? What's your gut telling you? Because again, as I said before, we, we don't know all of the ins and outs. We're just trying to put the pieces together that we're being fed over the course of, do, of this transfer window. Do you think this is a little bit fan-generated, the Caicedo thing, beyond January in the sense that, you know, this reminds me of Vlavic. Were we ever serious or are we serious about Caicedo? That's what I question. And I'm not sure that we have been. Wouldn't we? If I find it hard to believe that Arsenal Football Club, if they wanted him, and the asking price was 100 million, but they really wanted him. The, the manager wants him. He, he's not always going to get what he wants. And I think the beef that Arsenal fans have is with the Cronkies. It's like, Arteta's told you he wants this guy. Go get the guy. But 120 million. I mean, we're going into crazy universe money in the world in general. So for me, this one is a bit tricky because I don't know how much Arteta wants him. Is It, it reminds me of Basuma as well. Did he ever really want Basuma? Was that us that just wanted Basuma? Tielemans, another of, one. Tielemans. Know, they could have done it if they wanted it and they haven't. Yeah, that's where I kind of stand with the Caicedo one. I'm I'm not sure if Arteta really kind of said, this. Uh, go all out to get him. Um, but I, I I don't know. I, he's a great player. I would love him at Arsenal. I actually would like Caicedo more at Arsenal than Rice. Um, but, you know, what do I know? Can the, the three of us agree that whether we get Rice or Caicedo or both, we'd be overpaying for them anyway? Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. as, as, you, as Sophie said, if Rice was Italian, you know, you, know, you wouldn't be buying Rice for, a, you know, for 100 plus million pounds. Um, is he... But the thing is, like, I don't even know anymore, like, what players are worth. <laughs> like, I, I have no idea what what the what a player is worth anymore. It's like, you know, we signed last summer. We signed Zinchenko for thirty million quid. You know, is that an amazing bargain all of a sudden, or is actually no? In in a realistic world, he is worth about thirty million pounds. Like, it's it's impossible to know these days. You know what I mean? Like, you're talking, and you're talking about to even Jesus and Zinchenko. Like, they've won everything other than the Champions League. <laughs> uh, sorry. But great deals. Look what we paid for them. And they've won stuff. And they were coached under Pep Guardiola. Now their ages are what, 24 and 25 respectively, I think. Around about that. I think they're both yeah, 25-ish, yeah. aren't they? They're both 25, yeah. And Bellingham is what, three, four years? He's you know? 19, Bellingham. Bellingham's 19, <laughs> but Rice yeah. is what, 23? 24. 24. 24. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know. This is going to be a long summer. That's all I can say. And uh, fans are going to go at it. The club are going to disappoint fans. It happens every season. And we have major PTSD after Mudrick. This is where everything is stemming from. This is transfer market PTSD, guys. Brace yourselves. It's going to be a roller coaster ride, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. <laughs> Where are you guys on Kai Havertz? Um, I did a show yesterday with uh, with Daniel Childs, who, who Tom knows as well from from Football London. Um, I think he tried to put me off of Kai Havertz a little bit, but I still <laughs> with me with Jorginho, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I still sort of once I'd kind of processed what he said and, and thought about it overnight, I still woke up this morning thinking, no, actually, if the price is right, this is a pretty good deal. 
and one that I'm fully behind. Um, and, and interestingly, because what happens is, and, and I'm sure you guys get this as well, is I always get people tweeting me going, oh, well, you know, of course you're going to like Kai Havertz because Arsenal are linked to him and you wouldn't dare say anything uh, anti-Arsenal. The, the fact is that yesterday in the morning before the Kai Havertz story even came out, we did a show and I did my summer transfer wish list and I put Kai Havertz on that list without knowing what was to come later on in the day. So that wasn't just a, a reaction to that news. But I'm interested to get you guys' thoughts on Kai Havertz. Is it one where if this price is right, you'll do it? Is it one that we should stay away from? Is it one that we should break the bank for? Sorry, can can we just stop for a minute? You had Kai Havertz on your summer shopping list. Yep, I did. Why don't you tell us why? Because I have rated Kai Havertz for a really long time. And I think he is criminally, what's the right word? He's not used in the right way at Chelsea. I think he's got a lot of talent, a lot of ability. I think he's a really intelligent footballer. I think he's not your out-and-out centre-forward, although he is a centre-forward. But mm. in our team, I think that fits quite well. And and I think that he's a good fit for what we have in terms of our front line. It wouldn't take away focus from Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard. And it would be very similar to what Jesus brings to the side, but only with a slightly different profile. And I just think that because of the situation at Chelsea where they clearly need to move players on because of FFP, but also because they've got an overbloated squad, I think that's one we could take a, a advantage of. So, um, so and, can I f a follow-up question then? Yeah. Um, if he was at Bayer Leverkusen right now, Jared Carver put this question out, which I loved earlier today. If Havertz was at Bayer Leverkusen and we were looking at him, would yep. Arsenal fans be excited about that? I would be. As in, like, in his last season? or As in, as in that you know, he's coming from Chelsea. It's been a disaster. Yes, he scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. Everyone think it's by default because the midfield pretty much won that match. If you, I'm not saying erase his Chelsea career, but let's just, like, play a little bit of the what-if well, game. I think I think you can, in, in a way. You say, if, if Arsenal were doing the deal that Chelsea did for Havertz, mm -hmm. I think everyone would be over the moon. I think right. in that moment when Chelsea signed Havertz, it was seen as a massive coup for Chelsea. Mm -hmm. It really was. Because Liverpool, Liverpool were constantly linked with Havertz. It was like, he's going Liverpool. Constantly, constantly, he's going to Liverpool. And then Chelsea suddenly came in, because I think the season, the summer before they had their transfer ban, and Lampard did that whole season where they, I think that Tammy Abraham was their striker, and you know, they still got, um, I think they still got into the top four. Mm -hmm. And they signed Havertz, they signed Werner, you know. And everyone was like, wow, Chelsea have done an amazing bit of business there for both players, by the way. You know, everyone was rating that business of Werner and Havertz as, as really good business. And then when they had Thomas Tuchel in, you know, to kind of be that the, the German coach and then take on the two German talents and that, it was seen as even better kind of move. So, yeah, if, if it was back then and Arsenal were doing that deal, I think I agree with you, Sophie. I think a lot of Arsenal fans would be overjoyed with that. But mm. the, it, what I would say is that it's a risk. It's a huge risk of a, of a transfer for Arsenal. And it's it's all for me on Arteta, that deal like that, because this mm -hmm. is going to be Arteta saying that he believes that he yeah. can get the he can return Kai Havertz to the player that he was promised to be when he left by Leverkusen. And the thing is, I think we have the position that does that. And that's currently what Gabriel Jesus is playing this false nine role. I think you slot Kai Havertz into that position. You let Erdegaard feed him. You let Saka feed him. You get all of the emphasis on him in that false nine role. I think there's a real good chance of it. I also think if you want to rotate Odegaard out, which we feel at this moment in time that we can't do, 
mm-hmm. and you want to take Erdogan out for a game and put Havertz as a second striker behind Jesus and let them play together, I think that'd be really interesting to see as well. But the idea of playing Havertz wide, you know, I've seen some people do the mock-up of their teams for next season. Mm. Havertz is like a backup to Saka. And I'm like, no, don't repeat what <laughs> Chelsea just did. Like, you need to play him centrally. You need to give him that freedom to play what he was doing at Bayer Leverkusen, which was kind of playing a hybrid 8-10 role, which at times is what, well, is exactly what Odegaard does. But also he was given license as a centre-forward as a false nine at times as well, and he flourished. And also I've been crying out for Arsenal to sign a forward this summer with some verticality and physicality, and he's got that. So mm. I'd quite like it, but it's a huge risk and all on Arteta if it fails. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it is a risk, but I think we're in a place now where, and, and I'll bring you in on this, so if I think we're in a place now where we kind of have to let Mikel Arteta do his thing. You know, we we look at the big business that we've done, and I'm not talking about all the transfers, you know, you could talk about transfers like Runison and Pablo Marie and Cedric's wife haven't really worked out. But when you're talking about big money deals that Arsenal have done, with the exception of Fabio Vieira, who, by the way, still could come good. I think most of them have been spot on. And La so Conga a... and Nuno were decent what? money, right? Nuno they... was eight million or something. And Lokonga was 20? 20. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that Mikel Arteta has shown us over the last 12 months in particular that he's got a way of playing. He's got a style. Mm-hmm. He's managed to implement it over that period of time. And I just think sometimes we have to remember that we are just fans and that he will understand what is required to play that way better than any of us will. And so I c- you can have an opinion, of course, but you have to be, there has to be a part of you that places some faith in the management based on the progress we've made of late. Do you not agree with that? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And it's funny because with the Havertz thing since yesterday, I've seen a ton of people like, we're changing how we play. We're changing the system. He's changing everything. He's blowing it up and he's going to start all over again. Um, And I think, you know, I was a doubter, skeptic of him early, as you guys know. And uh, I think he's improved players too. Don't think he was, those decisions, the Maris, the Cedrics, the Runnisons, they came early on in his tenure at Arsenal, didn't they? And you could say we were desperate at that time. You know, this team, this whole club was just on its knees, really. And we've reinvented it. He's reinvented it with a do and the players and the new DNA and the profile and the culture and how we recruit and the type of players we're looking for. It's just more about it's more than just football. You've seen that with this guy. He's not a normal manager. And sometimes people can't accept someone different or something different. You know, at first everyone was seeing all or nothing as the light bulb is wacky and the LFC is wacky. And and then you see us evolve and progress and move and it all starts to make sense, right? And, you know, at, at the beginning it was Pep's con, uh, cone man and now people see him as, oh, he learned under Pep. So I think we need to kind of look at what's happened over the last two years and say, you know what, he's got some stuff right and he's got some stuff wrong. But generally, we're moving in the right direction. Here's one thing I'll leave you with on this subject. Trust the process, year one. For me, you guys know my thing, right? Process, progress. Now I've got a new one for this coming season. Success, right? I'll give you last year, I'll give you the year before. You've got to start delivering even a domestic trophy, something. You've got to take the domestic cup seriously if you're going to build a squad, right? We're never going to win the Champions League. I don't want to hear people say, but we might, Soph. We're, we're not. And if we do, wow, I, you can play this clip next year and say, you moron. 
right? But now, now progress, <laughs> process needs to go, has gone to progress. Now it needs success. And that's on him 100%, Harry. These are his choices. Now this is his team. And it's down to him and the players to deliver. And, you know, we've been patient. People say, oh, so how much patient could we be? It's been 20 years. No, erase at least 15 of those years <laughs> in some ways. We're here now. And it's, mm. uh, it's a different club. That was history. And I only use the rearview mirror to check my lipstick. It's about how we're going forward now. And Same. he needs to create success. I mean, we're really, really pushed for time, guys. But I, I did want to take this question, uh, which Tom highlighted in, in the chat, uh, which I think is a really, really good one. Tucky followed this up a little bit later on with uh, something along similar lines with regards to Kai Havertz, which was, um, it's fine to say that you trust Arteta on this deal, but if you or if it goes wrong, will you hold him to account? So let's say, for example, as, as Tucky puts it in the chat, we don't land Rice, we don't land Caicedo. I think we get one of them. But if we don't, what will we be saying then? Will we hold the club to account? How will you feel if we fail to get these targets? I guess is a way of packaging this question into one. I know how Tom feels. I, You know, for me, it's always around, it's always about context because like it's, I'll be dis I'll be disappointed if if one of Rice or Caicedo isn't an Arsenal player coming in in the summer. But if Man City end up buying Rice for 120 million pounds and Chelsea end up buying Caicedo for 120 million pounds, I'm going to look at that and go, well, can I be annoyed that we didn't buy one of those players for 120 million pounds? I'm not. I have an issue with that. Do you know what I mean? But if Chelsea end up agreeing a 90 million pound deal for Caicedo and Man City agree a 100 million pound deal for Rice. And we lose both. I'm going to be fuming. <laughs> I'm going to be absolutely fuming because we should, as a club, be looking to to spend. You know that that kind of figure in today's market. If if Arsenal were a serious club about you know with the aim of trying to challenge for a title every season, the aim of trying to go as far as we can in the Champions League, then our priority target has to be secured. That one of those two priority targets for that position has to be secured. You know the only way. That, that for me that I can't you know that I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be jumping on the bandwagon or doing a show you were with the words embarrassing as the is the thumbnail is if as I say you know Rice is signed for 120 million by City and Caicedo signed for 120 million odd by Chelsea but to be honest you know I, I'm starting to lean much more towards you Harry with regards because of the prices we're seeing um that it's going to be one or the other. And if it's one or the other, that's fine. But at the end of that, it's fine because I think there's other deals that we can do and put money into other positions or other targets. But we have to, have to try and get one of those. And the only reason that we shouldn't be getting one of those is if we, as, you know, the I can't remember who it was. I think it was a Telegraph or the Times said, if we are blown out of the water by one of Chelsea or City, that's the only reason. So, yeah. We, we uh, can get a bit narrow-minded as well, can't we? Like we, we've heard over the last few months, Rice, Caicedo, Rice, Caicedo, Rice, Caicedo. <laughs> and it's as though there are no other midfielders. There aren't, the Harry. Football. There are none. There are none out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like at times, doesn't it? But, um, yeah, real, I mean, Real so, quick, to jump yeah. on the back of that, what yeah. Tom said. Martinelli, Ramsdale, Saliba, Saka. You do not re-sign all of that talent, right? Odegaard coming, Benjamin White next, and not arc the circle and build this team that can challenge for a few years to come. 
I will be highly disappointed and actually maybe even a little bit Greek angry <laughs> if we don't back this up this summer. And I've defended the owners and I've uh, found a peace with Mikel Arteta um, as the manager. And I think that if we do not go and strengthen in ways that we can challenge and sustain what we've done, shame on us. Mm. Yeah. And, and to finish off the show, I completely agree with that. You know, I feel like We've made a lot of progress in the last 18 or so months. I know that ultimately the season ended in a bit of disappointment, but I have never, or not never, but I haven't in a long time felt that connected to an Arsenal side, felt that kind of buzz and excitement. And and obviously for me, it was a special season because I was covering the club much closely than I have done in the past. And just to be a part of it was amazing. And that was because I felt really, really engaged with it. You know, I got to do some games under Unai Emery and I was, we won't go into that again, but I was completely you know, <laughs> disconnected at the end of that. It just feels like to me, you know, we talk a lot about the rest of the Premier League, how some of those teams had dropped off, et cetera, et cetera. But we got ourselves in front of all those guys now. And if we don't have a summer that allows us to maintain our position, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to run City close guaranteed because Champions League football, I think, makes a big difference to us in terms of now having to balance things, and that poses new challenges. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we've taken the biggest step, and it feels like the next step is not a million miles away. And if we fail to address the issues we have in the transfer market to the point where we're taking steps backwards, I am going to hold the club accountable, and I'm going to hold everybody involved accountable. Now, as Tom alluded to earlier on, it's difficult to point the finger at one specific individual. Did Arteta make the right choice? Did Edu negotiate in the best way possible did the club sign off on the payment structure that the the selling club wanted there's so many factors here it's difficult to pinpoint one person and say you're responsible but as a collective i'll hold the club accountable for sure um just quickly super chat from tom who says uh Havert, rice and odegaard in midfield would make me happy I think it's a little bit imbalanced, but on paper it looks good. A little bit. By the you so way, much. it's funny how everyone's fallen out of love with Thomas Partey now, isn't it? Dude, it seems oh, surplus to requirements. Indeed. Guys, thank you so, so much, because I know this was a really last minute call up. So I really, really appreciate you both uh, taking the time out of your evening to join me. Tom, let people know what you've got coming up, what you've just done and how people can find uh, your brilliant content. Yeah, so if you're a little bit sceptical on Kai Havertz, um, just done a tactical breakdown on him with Drew. Drew Thompson knows his stuff. He sends mm. his best, by the way, uh, to both of you. When he when we left, he said, send them a both. And I completely forgot to tell you. So there, I'm telling you now. Thank you. Um, but, he wrote uh, a great article about him three years ago. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He did. It's fantastic. He's he's put a new one out for one on one great goals. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah so check, check that out. Uh, but yeah, check the tactical breakdown of Kai Havertz out. And of course, you can find me every morning at eight a.m. on the channel, waking up early, <laughs> doing the grind. And I say July, it every time. August, September. <laughs> yeah, I, I say it every time I speak to Tom. I have no idea how you do it. Man. Yes. I really we did episode three hundred the other day, and I realized, wait, that's just one show. We did a new show. It's actually <laughs> six hundred days we've done now. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so same to you. How can people uh, find uh, your content and what have you got coming up? Yeah, I'm doing a show today, actually, at uh, 8 p.m. UK time and um, with uh, Super Carl Campbell. And I think Super Kev Campbell is going to swing in as well. So it's uh, Sophie and the Campbells for dinner, I think, tonight. Um, and yeah, check out the content. Let us know what you think. Um, 
in a, a really good, just some really good stuff coming up. Uh, and I'm going to take a break from the summer as well. Need a break. So, yeah. but we've got really good stuff coming up and I'm really excited to share that with everyone soon. I've been trying to take a break all week and I think I've done more episodes this week than I've done <laughs> over the course of the season in any given week. But hey, it is what it is. Have um, to take a break before Arsenal come to America and good luck to Balogun tonight making his debut in Las Vegas for the United States against Mexico. Let me tell you, if you've never seen a USA-Mexico game, please try and watch it if you can. It's one of the greatest rivalries in all of football, especially it being a border rivalry as well. So check out Balogun and of course Matt Turner will be in goal. And uh, it should be exciting stuff. That's going to be tasty. I'll try and yeah. stay up for it. Um, guys, don't forget to leave a like on your way out. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. I think we're around about 40 odd away from hitting 27,000. I really want to get there so we can start pushing towards the 30K mark here on YouTube. Uh, so do that for me. I'd really, really appreciate it. Follow the guys and uh, we'll be back possibly tomorrow, depending on how the news pans out with more content. Until then, take care of yourselves and uh, have a great evening. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.